Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Paul Gannon. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. Of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. And you can send messages to the show on Twitter at go for again. Also, you can send messages to us on the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. So you can send some messages there to us if you like. You can send some messages there on Twitter if you like at go for again. And while you're there on Twitter at go for again, give me a, a follow at go for again. Great show lined up for you today. It's the three year anniversary of go for it. We've been on this air for three years. A lot of great times, a lot of great guests. A lot of great, 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 great fun over those three years. We would agree. The fans are in agreement. A lot of great times over these three years. Um, a lot of fun over these three years. A lot of fun. A lot of great times. Today we're going to be joined by a lot of great guests coming up. A great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined by Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. I mean, he's a guy who's been a fixture on this show for many, many uh, years and we're going to talk to Willie. It's about three years here ago. For get also get his take on the new NFL rule uh, with the offenses uh, leading with their head. So we're going to talk to Willie about that. Also, IBF welterweight champion Devin Alexander will stop on by. As Devin Alexander, he's been a fixture on the show over the years, and Devin has a big fight lined up against Kel Brook in Atlantic City on May 18th. So it's exciting times. For Devin Alexander, also some NFL prospects will be coming through here. Keith Pugh, linebacker for Howard, Howard University. Keith was dominant at Howard. Keith had a great East-West Shrine game, also was invited to the Combine. Did his thing at the East-West Shrine game and actually won the Pat Tillman Award at the East-West Shrine game. That's given the players who are excellent not only on the field, but off the field. And also another NFL draft prospect, Ryan Oshesky, quarterback, University of New Haven, as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. We're going to get his thoughts and and talk to him as he prepares for the draft. The draft is right around the corner, right around the corner. And, you know, here's here's a name that we we haven't said here on this show in a long, long time. Uh, It's a three-year anniversary show. We've got to bring him back for the three-year anniversary show. Let's bring him in now. Jeremy, how are you, sir? Hey, Paul, how's it going? How are you, uh, man? Oh, this is great. You know, this is great. Good. Three years of lots Good. of fun, lots of excitement. Uh, just three years of just great, great times. And we're here to celebrate it on here today. And I guess we have to start with the NCAA tournament. I mean, March Madness, the madness of March. And we saw some madness yesterday. We we got some lower seeds now doing some big time things in this NCAA tournament. LaSalle, 
uh, of the Atlantic 10. How about the Atlantic 10? 6-0 and in this NCAA tournament. So who, who is the real beast of the East? Is it the Big East or is the A-10? But the A-10, 6-0 and in this tournament. LaSalle with a big-time victory over K-State. We're dominating, dominant in that first half and just held on at the end in that second half. I believe it was 3 for 18 in the second half from the field. So you knew we used to, when you hear those type of numbers, you knew a team held on. LaSalle held on. I mean, they had an 18-point lead going into halftime and were able to hold on in that ball game. And LaSalle's moved on. LaSalle's looked good thus far in this NCAA tournament. How about Florida? Golf. I can't, I forgot this team's name. The team that beat Georgetown last night. I mean, that was a, a shock. A Florida golf coast stuns Georgetown last night. Beat the mighty Hoyas. 15 seed Florida golf coast. Raise your hand if you've heard of them. I don't think anybody can raise their hand. Uh, and that's the beauty of this tournament. That one shining moment. I mean, you you just have guys who just come out of the woodworks, guys you've never heard of. No one has ever heard of Florida, Gulf Coast, University. No one. But, Paul, but wait, this, you call that beautiful? I mean, if you're Georgetown, is it really beautiful, a team that works hard all year in a one game, you know, uh, would-be Cinderella story, and, and Georgetown is out? They're, they're, I mean, the chance probably to go, you know, Sweet 16, Elite 8, realistically, gone by, like you said, a team no one ever heard of and no one's ever going to hear of. And you call well, that, that Well, that's the beauty of this tournament, it, you know, exactly the finality, the one and done. I mean, it's just a one-game situation. You've got to bring your best at the right time. If you don't bring your best at the right time, you go home. It happens in the NFL. I mean, you tell me. I know it's college basketball, but it happens in the NFL. In my opinion, Denver Broncos were a better team than the Baltimore Ravens. In my opinion, in my opinion, the Denver Broncos were a better team than the the Baltimore Ravens. You look at even in 2011 with the Green, uh, 2010 with the Green Bay Packers. I I mean, excuse me, 2011 with the Green Bay Packers against the Giants. I thought the Giants, I thought the Packers were a better team than the Giants in that particular season. So you. No, they're two different. You know, as far as I'm concerned, no. far as I'm concerned, yeah. far as I'm concerned, that's the beauty of this thing. It's the finality of it all. It's you got to bring your best, or you go home. That's what makes this tournament exciting. And that's to me. I mean, I look at March Madness. To me, it's all about. Actually, I mean, you, you could say it's about the first four days, but to me, it's actually about the first two days because that's when you have start, the Cinderella stories. You know, coming into play. That's when you have the 15th, the 16th, 13th, 14th seed uh, doing work and, and possibly trying to pull off an upset. That's when you have those things. And that, to me, is the beauty of March Madness, the beauty of the NCAA tournament. I mean, have you heard of Florida Golf Coast University? Have you ever heard of Florida Golf Coast University, I mean, they just became Division One, 2007-2008 season. I mean, this, this, this school was founded in 1997. 1997. And you, and I have you underwear. Said, I have well, underwear older than Florida Gulf Coast <laughs> University. And, 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 and there's two things that are sad about that. The first is, is you want to admit that. And the second is that, that a team like Georgetown, that, that arguably is going – 
to challenge Kansas in the South region is out. I mean, they didn't play well. And it's, it's, it is, yes, it's very final, but the, the downside to that is in, in a three-game maybe condensed playoff, uh, instead of it being these now 68 teams, getting a smaller amount of, of more quality leads to this. It leads to essentially brackets being busted, and number two, having to hear you have underwear older than this college, and number three, Georgetown is at home. Well, they're not at home, they're in Philadelphia, but you know, they are the higher-seeded ball club. But the reality is, is this. I mean, the reality is this. It's the beauty of March Madness. The beauty of March Madness is the finality of it all. Well, the beauty of March Madness is win or go home or win in advance. That's it. It's just one game, and that's the beauty of it. And the beauty of it is, is Florida teams like Florida Golf University, teams like LaSalle, Teams that are just, you know, teams are lower-seeded teams. I mean, LaSalle had to play in the playing game to get to this point. So teams like that, and then names like Sherwood Brown from Florida Gulf Coast University. I mean, just coming out of nowhere. I mean, Sherwood Brown. Have you heard of Sherwood Brown before yesterday? How about Jarrell Wright from LaSalle, who, again, comes out of the woodworks. These names, they just come out of the woodworks. They come out of woodworks, and, the, and, and that's the beauty of this whole tournament. That is the beauty of this tournament. Do I think the NBA playoffs are better? Yes, I do. But, you know, I, I look at this whole tournament, and, and I say, you know, the beauty is what happens Thursday and Friday. Yeah, actually the beauty, I would have to say, the whole first weekend of the tournament. That's the beauty of this thing. You know, the, just the, the, the upset, just the names. That who come out of the woodworks. That's the beauty of the first week of the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited as the tournament continues on. I'm excited to see what else happens. I mean, the Atlantic 10, you know, we talked about the Big East and how, how tough the Big East was and how big time the Big East was. I mean, but they're only two and six in this tournament. Only two and six in this tournament. So, you know, maybe we need to talk about the Atlantic 10 as the, the real true beast of the East. Maybe the Atlantic 10 is the beast of the East and not the Big East. Maybe, maybe not. But the tournament continues on today. A lot of big games today. A lot of, lot of things to watch for today. I mean, uh, this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. And, again, you, you may not be the biggest college basketball fan or may not even be uh, a, a fan of the finality of it all, but that's the beauty of it, the finality, the, the, the one and done. The You don't bring your best performance, you go home. That, that's the beauty of that. You go home. You go, to your, you go back to your university and you go home. That's the beauty of it. That is the beauty of the NCAA tournament. That's the beauty. That's the finality. That's just the finality of it all. So beautiful. So, so beautiful. How about the Temple Owls? How about the Temple Owls? How about the, the Temple Owls, uh, Khalif Wyatt and those boys putting in work yesterday? How about the Owls? I mean, it's, it's an exciting time to be a, a Philadelphia basketball fan on some level. I mean, LaSalle, uh, Temple, 
both of these teams putting in some work. Both of these teams, you know, I, I mean, I think Temple can give Indiana a game on Sunday. I really do. I, I really think Temple can give Indiana a game. Not saying they're going to beat Indiana, but I think Temple can be very, very competitive in that game. And, I, you know, LaSalle, LaSalle could theoretically get to the Sweet 16. LaSalle could get to the Sweet 16. And we talked about throughout the – go ahead. They, they, they obviously, with their upset, and, and of course with Ole Miss upsetting, they, they look poised, right, to, to hit a, a Sweet 16, which for the school and for Philadelphia will be huge. I mean, yes, yes, definitely. You know, it should, it should be, and I think Temple can beat Indiana, and I think uh, LaSalle can beat Ole Miss. I mean, I think theoretically both of these teams could get to the Sweet 16. I really do. Both of these teams have legit shots to get to the Sweet 16. Will they? We shall see. I mean, we saw on Thursday out west with Gonzaga and playing Southern and Southern, you know, gave Gonzaga all they could handle. I mean, they really played Gonzaga very, very tough. And a lot of people have questioned Gonzaga as a number one seed. Granted, some say they didn't deserve a number one seed. I thought they did, you know, just by the body of their work. But at the same time, are they I, – I, I wouldn't call them a strong number one seed, but I definitely think they deserve – definitely thought they deserved a number one seed. And I wouldn't be surprised if Gonzaga goes out today against Wichita State. I would not be surprised if we saw the end of the Zags run today. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw the well, end of Gonzaga. I mean, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I'll disagree. I think you, you have to realize, again, number one, uh, you say the beauty of this tournament is, is, let's use the term, the volatility of it. But but Gonzaga, I mean, far and away, is a much stronger team. And I think at these points, I agree Thursday and Friday, it is, uh, you, you don't know maybe who is going to be the upset. But it starts to become a little bit more predictable when when you look at Gonzaga may not be in the top tier in terms of the ones and the twos in the total seeding, but they're far and away a much better team than Wichita State. In fact, they look poised to go right to the Elite Eight or almost maybe to the Sweet 16 because Arizona now is, I think, going to have a harder time against a team like Harvard than them, them most. Well, I mean, in, in Harvard, you know, Harvard, another Jeremy Lenz, Harvard, another team that you know, another oh, uh, Cinderella team. I mean, give them a lot of credit. Tommy Amaker doing a great job with that Harvard team and getting them into the, the third round of this tournament. I mean, that's the beauty of this thing. The beauty of this thing is the the, the uncertainty, and I mean. College basketball, every week we, we've had a number one team, it seems like. I mean, I mean every week, every week, number one has fallen. I mean, at one point we say, oh, this is the team to beat, or that's the team to beat, and this is the team to beat. And we don't even, at the end of the day, we don't even know who the team to beat is because uh, each and every week the team that we thought was the team to beat ends up losing. So, I mean, you know, that that's, that's the way this season has been thus far in college basketball. And it's it's the parody. Parody is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And college basketball this this season has had a lot of parody 
Who's going to win this thing? I don't know. I I, I don't. I, I've done. I haven't filled out a bracket in, in years. It's useless. It, 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 you're not going to. It's useless. Your bracket is going to get busted each and every time. If you had Georgetown going very far in this tournament, your bracket is busted. If you had K State going very far in this tournament, your bracket has now become busted. I mean, you know, I, I, and from you know, from that standpoint, I'm just saying, you know what, I, I'm done filling out brackets. It's just a useless exercise. It's it's nothing. Whatever you pick, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You're better off just closing your eyes and just picking teams. You're also better off just maybe going with all the number one seeds and, and just seeing what happens. Just you know, they have the easiest route, theoretically, to get to the Final Four and ultimately win this whole thing. So you might be better off doing something of that nature. But it is what it is. I want to go to the NBA now. and um, The Miami Heat, 25-game win streak. They beat the Detroit Pistons last night. And it's getting a little uncomfortable for the 1971-1972 Lakers. I mean, it's getting a little uncomfortable in terms of them preserving – their record, their record 33-game win streak. Now, I've been on record as saying that this is an unbreakable record. And and to put it in perspective, this record's been around for 40 years. Also, to put it in perspective, the Heat at this point have won 25 games in a row. They have won 25 games in a row. But guess what? In order to equal the record, they still have to win eight more games in a row. In order to beat the record, they still have to win nine games in a row. They have to win another game, nine games in a row. So, nine games in a row is not an easy feat. That's not easy, folks. It's not easy to win nine games in a row. I'm looking at their schedule and you go through when you see a team schedule there on on the website ESPN.com. You look at it, you see www, you see not too many L's, you see a lot of green. Green is W, red is L. And I'm looking at their schedule and I'm seeing a lot of W's. And that's what happens when you win 25 games in a row. I mean, how about their performance in Cleveland? I grant it's the Cavaliers, but you're down 27 points and you just storm back and just take over that game. LeBron James was great, messed around and got a triple double. I mean, it was just truly, truly amazing. We're going to go back to that now, but we're, we're going to get back to that in a moment. But we're going to bring in a guy now, one of our favorite guests over these past three years, a man who's preparing for a big fight May 18th in Atlantic City, defending his IBF title for the first time. Let's bring him in now. IBF welterweight champion, the one, the only, Devin Alexander. Devin, how are you, man? What's going on, my man? How are you, sir? What's that? Happy anniversary. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. We love anniversary. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. And and, and I look at the history with you, man. I mean, we we started talking to each other before the Katelnik fight. Before the Katelnik fight. Right, right. That was the first time we had you on the show. And you know what? I enjoy every time I'm on the show. Appreciate it. I enjoy having you every time you're on the show, man. And let's get to your business now. You got a you got a big fight coming up. Your first title defense May 18th in Atlantic City against Kell Brook. The fight has been postponed two times. You pulled out last with the bicep injury. At this point, how is the bicep? 
Well, the bicep is good. Um, I was going to therapy three times a week. Now I'm down to one time a week. So um, the bicep is, is healed, but, you know, we change, we're just taking precautionary matters to make sure we don't re-injure it and make sure that my arm is going to be 100%. But I am using it now um, slowly, and, you know, we're back in camp now and getting ready for May 18th. So May 18th come, we'll be 100%. Now, you called Kell Brook a good fighter, but a basic fighter. Tell us about Kell Brook and his style. What makes him a basic fighter? Well, well, when you look at his fights, he's not doing anything special. And when you okay. look at it, the, the, his opponents and his opposition, he's not doing anything that, you know, that can say, wow, you know, the guys that he, that he has fought, he's supposed to do that to, you know. I'm pretty right. sure if I fought the same caliber of guys that he's fought, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I'll blow him out the water to myself, you know. So, <laughs> um, you know, his, his opponents is definitely, you know, can't match mine, you know. And when he, when he, when he does fight or have a half-decent opponent, I don't think he even had, had a half-decent half opponent, he, he, he has trouble with, you know, like, you know, the likes of Carson Jones that everybody know he had trouble with. Right. Um the Af- the other African guy in do in love in Dujo and Lovemore or something like that. Okay. He had trouble with him too. So those are the two fighters that, you know, gave him a little problem but, you know, also they had a lot of losses too. So um you just can't compare, you know, these types of situations and he's gonna be in for a rude weight come May eighteenth. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I, I look at this fight, and I think this is a fight obviously you should win. How do you avoid now being overconfident? Well, well, I definitely, I'm never going there too confident because this is boxing. You never know what can happen in the ring. Well, a guy can get lucky, you hit with one punch and knock you out. So, you know, you go in there and prepare to, you know, go to the distance, prepare for a good fight, prepare for a hard you know, 12-round fight. That's what I prepare for. I tra- I train for 15 rounds, actually. You know, okay. so, you know, when when I get in there, I'm never overconfident. I know this guy across the ring for me wants to turn my head off, wants to, you know, wants what I got and wants what I have. So I know I got to be ready. So I'm never going to be overconfident. I always know, you know, somebody's wanting to turn my head off. So you got to be cautious. But and, and I ran in an interview. I'm and you said you're going to be ready. I believe you're going to be ready. And I read in an interview about you. You said in this interview, I have my mojo. I have my mojo. <laughs> Do you feel like at this point you are an elite fighter? I I, I am becoming an elite fighter um, at okay. the time because, you know, I feel, you know, when I, I was young, I was young with success and didn't know what I had in front of me. You know, I could admit that. And, you know, uh, mentally I wasn't there. Mentally I didn't know where, where I what I had in front of me, and um, you saw the result of that. And I'm coming back around full circle. You know, I'm back on top. Um, I got I got another belt, WBC title. I mean, IBF title. Um, so three-time world champion. So um, I'm becoming an elite fighter, and people want to recognize that after I beat Carol Brosi. They're gonna be like, okay, we gotta respect this guy. He is for real. He's the real deal. And you know, I know I'm going to have to continue to prove myself, but they're definitely going to recognize me as one of the best. And I know you're really not going to give me a, a, a legitimate answer here, but i got to ask you anyway, what mm-hmm. is the plan going into this fight? The plan, Well, the plan is to 
do a little more than what I've been doing in the fights, you know, okay. in, in my previous fights. Um, do a little more, put a little more hurt on my opponent. And you're going to see that. You know, I've, i got a wonderful strength trainer now. Uh, he's been working with me. You know, I feel strong, feel fast. My legs feel strong. And we're just going to be prepared. We're going to be ready, you know, for 12 hard rounds. 12 hard rounds, and we'll see what happens in Atlantic City May 18th. We're talking to IBF champion Devin Alexander. And I saw you and Brooke going back and forth there on Twitter. What's going on with you guys? I'm getting a sense there's some bad blood between you two. Is that the case? Uh, this is the thing. Don't come on my Twitter talking crazy. Don't 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 do that. You know, none of my opponents have ever did that. You know, you he he he, he crossing bridges that he don't want to cross now. You know, I'm I'm a humble guy. Everybody knows I'm a humble guy. But don't step on my toes. Don't don't come okay. on my Twitter talking saying you go you go knock me out or whatever. I forgot even what he said, but he came on my Twitter saying something crazy and I ain't like that. So I had to respond, you know, to um his tweet because that's disrespectful. And I'm gonna tell him that at the press conference. You know, you've been really disrespectful and I'm gonna take it out of you in the ring. And so now, just so everybody knows, don't mess with Devin Alexander and his Twitter. Don't step on his toes on Twitter because bad things could happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to tell. I mean, I, I was shocked. I'm like, okay. I look and I'm like, wow, this is his page. So that made me mad a little bit. So, you know, but, you know, I guess it's all part of the game, you know. And, you know, he, you know, they, they, really, they really are souping him up over there in the U.K. Like, you know, he really got a chance with me. So, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you're supposed to. His first time fighting for a world championship belt, and he's supposed to be excited. So um, I expect that. But, you know, once you get in there, it's only going to be him and, and nobody else is going to be, you know, hyping him up or telling him, okay, you got this champ. You're not. It's going to be just him and that, and he's going to have to get through it. Now, before, obviously, this fight was postponed, and, and before. Uh, the, excuse me, Answers fight was postponed. Floyd Mayweather came out with a tweet talking about, okay, negotiations <laughs> are going on between me and Devin Alexander, our fight mm-hmm. is close, so on and so forth. How close was Mayweather-Alexander, how close was that to happening on May 4th? Well, I, I, can't, speak, I can't really speak on that <laughs> because, you know, I have obligations with Kale Brook. You know, right. I have a contract with Kale Brook. You know, and that's what my obligations was, you know, at the time, you know. Um, you know, I guess my manager was talking to him about, you know, future references and, you know, and after this fight, you know, then we can talk, you know. that That's all it was, was a tweet, you know. Okay. Um, he, he he was interested, you know, and, you know, he got this Showtime deal, and, you know, you know, he's going to need some opponents and stuff. So I'm, I don't want to speak too much about it. I'm worrying about Kale Brook and... We're going to see what happened after this. Okay, but, okay. And, you know, and I get the sense. Just, I've, it, I, I, go ahead, it, go ahead. It's coming. It's coming, okay. Okay, I get the, you know, I get, I get the sense, man. I mean, obviously, Brooke is the mandatory, so he's the guy yeah. that you have to fight right now. But you obviously want bigger and better fights moving forward. Of course, of course, of course. That's, I, I, I don't want nothing less, you know. Um, I feel that, you know, I fought good opposition, good, good opponents. You know, to make my name known, to fight, to become an elite fighter. And after I beat Kell Brook, you know, they they can't deny me no more. And you know, this, this guy is supposed to be one of the toughest guys. As you say, it's coming up um, over in the UK. So, you know, they can't deny me no more. 
They cannot deny you. We can't <laughs> deny well, Devin well, you Alexander. They're going to try, though. They're still going to try to deny me. But you know, I'm going to continue Definitely. to win and continue to beat these guys that's in front of me. And that's all you can do, win and move on, and you got a big fight May 18th against Kell Brook. We're talking to IBF welterweight champion Devin Alexander. And Devin, there was another guy who was talking a little bit about you. Bob Arum came out <laughs> and, and said, you know, some things about you, saying that you yeah. couldn't handle uh, his guy, Ruslan Provognikov, a guy who, who went life and death with, with Timothy Bradley last week. Your manager, Kevin Cunningham, called him senile, called Bob senile. Bob Arum is getting a little older now. How do you respond to those comments by Bob Arum? Uh, oh, you I was, I was, I was just shocked. My coach told me, and he said he had a story out saying some stuff about me. I was shocked. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, the, the thing is that you know, they're the thing is, they know, they know that Mayweather guy, they got his eyes on me. They know that I, I could be a possible next opponent, and they are, you know, trying to downplay it right now. They don't want to see it happen. So, um. You know, I think it's all hate, you know, this and that. How can you say anything about me and I can't beat this Russian guy that went like, I mean, who is, who? I mean, that's the first time I even saw the guy fight. So he, he is pretty senile, Bob Arum is. <laughs> you know, I, I, for him, you see, thing, this is the thing, for him to even bring my name up, you know, I have no, I have no contact, no, no, Know nothing with Bob Arum. Bob Arum don't know me. I haven't talked to Bob Arum or anything. It's just, you know, they know that, you know, I could be a possible next Floyd Mayweather opponent, and he's, he, he doesn't like Floyd Mayweather, so he's going to throw salt on it or whatever. Well, I mean, just just crazy, man. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, people want to say a lot of stuff. You know, they talk about Jesus, but, you know, hey, you just got to keep moving, man. So you, you view it as almost a compliment in some respect. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For me, I mean, there's a lot of fighters out there, a lot of people out there that's, you know, fighting or whatever. But for him to just, you know, come down and focus on me, you know, that says something. Now, the fight is May 18th. It is in Atlantic City. I can't let you out of here without a prediction. What <laughs> will happen May 18th, Devin Alexander, Kel Brook? After the fight, you, the fans and everybody that's in the building who are watching going to say, wow. They're okay. going to say, wow, and they're going to say, hey, Floyd Mayweather and Devin Alexander is not such a bad idea. Okay. That's what Go they're going to be saying. Now, the fight is in Atlantic City. That is kind of close to my house. So I might be in the building for that one. I oh, you, may you be you in coming. the building for you that coming. fight. Are you, you coming? Uh, that is near my home. Okay, well, you got to come, man. You got to come down. I, I think I am. I think I'm going to come down there and support you. This is a big fight for your first title defense against Kell Brook. I'm, I think I'm going to try to be in the building that night. Yeah, yeah. let me know, man. You got to come down and support, man. You got to come down. Definitely, definitely. I definitely look to be in the building May 18th at, in Atlantic City. Kell Brook, Devin Alexander for Devin's IPF welterweight title. Devin. As always, man, appreciate you stopping by. It's been sure. great having you over these three years, man. It's been great oh, having man. you. Thanks for having me again. You know, you know, thanks for having me and continue all success. And you know, you know, I'm always come on here and show my support and be on your show all the time. You, my man. 
Appreciate it. You, my man, 50 grand as well. Appreciate it, man. Good luck to you, May 18th. Okay. Again, I hope to be in the building to see that big-time fight and your big-time performance. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Take care. Okay, my man. Devin Alexander, IBF, welterweight champion. I think, Jeremy, I think we have to make a trek down to Atlantic City May 18th. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That 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 certainly for us is a uh, you know right down uh, the, the expressway, and uh, that would be it. Certainly, uh, it, uh, for him, is a big fight. I think uh, he explains he knows what's coming next, and, and, and not looking past this fight will be important. And certainly, the chance for us, we, we should have been in. Uh, if you remember, we, we we could have gone out to St. Louis, but. Uh, uh, you know, budgetary constraints with uh, with our family additions haven't allowed for that. But but AC is more affordable than ever. I think we need to we need to plan it. We need to get out there May 18th and support some of the great things Devin Alexander is doing. And that's a fight he should win. And to your point, this is a big time fight for him because the reality is there's a lot of money at the end of this rainbow. I mean, Floyd Mayweather. You talk Floyd Mayweather. You talk about money. He's money yeah, Mayweather up. for a reason. No. So there's some money to be had there. If Devin Alexander can get by this fight, no matter if it's Floyd Mayweather, there's some big fights out there that can be made for him. So Devin Alexander now, he's a guy, the, the sky's the limit. The, the sky truly is the limit for him now. And if he can get by this fight, this is his mandatory. This is something he has to take care of in order, A, to retain the belt. Because if he doesn't fight Brooke, he, you know, there's a possibility he could be stripped of his title. So he has to fight him. He has to fight him, get this out the way. And Brooke is a guy that, you know, he should beat. This is a fight he should win. And if he gets by this fight, again, Floyd Mayweather could be next. And that's going to be big time for him. Money may. Money may. And I mean, you know, whether he could beat Floyd Mayweather, I don't know. But Floyd Mayweather over the years has had some issues with Southpaws. So you, you never know. You, you never know what could happen. It's boxing, and that's the beauty of the sport. But Devin Alexander has been one of our favorite guests over these three years, and as we talked about, we started talking to him before the Katelnik fight, and that was the first time he was fighting in St. Louis, his hometown. So that's the first time. So we were winning with the good times, Katelnik, Matisse, and some of those fights, and we were winning with bad times um, when he lost to Bradley, but we were always with him. And, you know, one thing I'll say about this guy, he's a stand-up guy, and one thing I'll say about him is that he will always come on the air, even though things are not going his way. Even after the Timothy Bradley fight, he came on, and, you know, he, he, it is what it is. He, he was a man about it, and i got to respect that. And, you know, we'll – see what happens with Devin Alexander moving forward. But I want to bring in another guy now. He's preparing for the upcoming NFL draft, which is right around the corner. This man has been very impressive, impressive at the East-West Shrine game. Actually won a Pat Tillman Award, the Pat Tillman Award at the East-West Shrine game. So this man is doing this thing not only on the field, but off the field. Let's bring him in now. Linebacker, former Howard University linebacker, the one, the only, Keith Pugh. How you doing, sir? How are you, man? I can't complain. Uh, can't kill nothing, won't nothing die. That, that sounds good. That sounds very good. I, I got to take that from you one time or another. <laughs> I got to use it. <laughs> and, Keith, let's talk about the East-West Shrine game. There, you, people started to talk about you after that game. And at that, 
particular game, you won the Pat Tillman Award for not only some of the things that you do on the field, but some of the things that you did off the field. Talk about that recognition and what that meant for you. I mean, it means a lot, you know, just going going through history and and uh, reading Pat Tillman's uh, bio and all that he stands for and all that he stood for, all that he rep- all that he represented. Um, you know, if you don't know the story, you know, he was a uh, uh, a very very good football player um, had a, was fortunate enough to play uh, a few years in the league, and he was facing a contract extension, and he gave up a lucrative uh, contract to go and serve his country. Um, and right. he, unfortunately, he, he paid the, the the ultimate sacrifice, and he he was killed in war in battle, you know. But it just speaks volumes about him and his character and everything he stands for. For me to be uh, one of the recipients of the award. You know, it means a lot. It definitely, it definitely takes precedence over all the all the other awards and accolades that I, I have attained and acquired over the years. Um, and the East West Shrine game that that was a special, that was a special, uh, special opportunity for me to to uh, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. I think the the right. best part about it, besides besides uh, being the Pat Simmons Character Award recipient, was the the hospital visit visit that Sunday. When you go to uh, St. Jude's Hospital, not St. Jude's, uh, okay. uh, Sinus Hospital, and you get to meet young kids, you know, who have various illnesses and diseases, and yet they still smile, and and, and they're happy to see you. You know, they you you're you're their light, their sunshine that day. You know, right. they ask for for autographs. They, they they embrace you with love. You know, you will never know, judging by their smiles and their attitudes and, and the warmth of love that's in the room. You never know that they they deal with any kind of illness just because they learn to appreciate life, um, and and they really opened my eyes. Um, very, one of the very very few moments in my life where I had to sit back and reevaluate and, and put things in perspective. You know, I get to do what I love every day, and these these kids, you know, they balance battling with, with uh, lifelong illnesses that they they'll never right. be able to uh, that they have a cure for. You know, and um, definitely. So it, it opened my eyes. So, so that was overall a great experience, you know. And, and it's, it's true. The slogan is true to the game, you know. It's more than just a game, and and that and it just to start the week off with that hospital visit um, sets it apart from any other um, All Star game. Definitely. Yeah. And, and you talked about the slogan being true to the game. You were true to the game off the field, and you were true to the game on the field. I mean, you balled out at the East West Shrine game. You, you played at a small school at Howard. Did you go yes, into sir. that particular game with a little chip on your shoulder? Well, well, I always have a chip on my shoulder because that's one of the stigmas that you face with, with going uh, with attending or, or competing at a, a small school. I mean, because you don't see the, the, the same level of competition um, every week as a Michigan or Ohio State or LSU. So, of course, you have you have to you have to prove to 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 the scouts, to the coaches, to, and even to yourself that you belong. And um, even though you know I, I go into every competition, no matter who it is, um, that I'm going to dominate. So it wasn't it wasn't about proving myself to them. It's about proving myself to myself. You know that I, okay. that I do belong. That I can play with guys from Ohio State and Michigan and and Kansas State and Kansas and and the UCLA's of, of the world. Um, and I felt like I, I, I accomplished that, that goal, and, and I had to move forward. 
Definitely. And moving forward, ultimately, your performance at the East-West Shrine game ultimately got you an invite to the Combine. At the Combine, you ran a 4.940, 17 reps, a 2.25, 33-inch vertical leap. Were you happy with your performance at the Combine? Um, I was pretty happy with, with my performance uh, aside from the 40, but I knew okay. I wasn't blazing fast, you know, coming into the Combine. So I was I was hoping to, to hit anywhere in the 4.7 range. I didn't. Um, just didn't run well. No excuse. I just didn't. I uh, you know this, the forty is the forty, you know. But my motto, my motto is, you know, stop watches don't make tackles. And if you watch right. film, you know, or look at my performance, um, a, a football player is gonna stand out regardless of the forty time. Um, you know, I don't, I don't believe in throwing names out there, but Jarvis Jones, you know, the best linebacker in college football this year. You know, he ran a four nine five and a, a five a five flat, and he's he's arguably the best linebacker in, in this draft class because of his, his his style of play and uh uh his playmaking ability. So right. uh I then I don't I don't believe that it's too much stock into the forty. Um and the eye and the sky don't lie. So if you if you have any unanswered questions just watch them. Um and I know I haven't played Sir? Go ahead. You no, know, I I know I haven't played uh at that high level of competition but my best games come against D1 competition. I played, uh, I competed against Rutgers twice in my career and Eastern Michigan twice in my career. And I ended up with double-digit double digit tackles, you know, 10 or more, and uh, three or four tackles of a loss in, in, each, of those, in each, each of those games. So if you go back to the film, you know, you're going you to see that, that I'm a playmaker. And to your point, I mean, I think a lot of the things that go on at the Combine is a little overhyped. Uh, so I would agree with you in, in terms of that. I mean, it kind of is what it is, but I, I agree with you. I think a lot of stuff at the Combine is kind of overhyped. Well, at the Combine, were you able to, t- to talk to some teams? I was. I was. I talked, I talked to a number of teams um, in, the, in, the, in the train station, well, in the, in the meeting hall, the grand hall. You know, you talk, you sit down and you talk to defensive coordinators and position coaches and a couple of special team coaches, you know, and they want to pick your brain and see what you know, see uh, – how well, how coachable are you? Uh, what what type of guy are you? Um, are you a knowledgeable guy? Can can you retain long, uh, uh, information? Can you make adjustments on the fly? Um, I also had the opportunity to have a formal meeting with the Oakland Raiders that went okay. extremely well. Okay. And and uh, you know, just, I I had a great time. I, overall, I think I did. I excelled in my interview. You know, just going from. Just explaining my defense and being a quarterback on the field and knowing what everybody's position was, and I had to give a large, large part of that to to all my coaches, who uh, who under their tutelage who took me under their wing and, and taught me the defense to where I could explain it and teach it to someone who doesn't know. Right. And uh, you know, and they got they kind of get kind of tricky in the interview. You know, they they show you some formations or they show you a defense with the terminology. And they say, I want you to remember that. And then they'll they have an auto conversation with you for about 10 or 15 minutes. And they'll come back to it. They'll like, say, so you remember the defense or you remember this set, this set of formations I show you. I just draw it up and explain it to me and how you're going to defend it. You know, but that's never been a problem of mine because when you're talking football, I'm locked in. Definitely. I mean, I love talking football. And before the combine, how did you prepare for those interviews? Um. I did a lot of prep interviews uh, with, okay. with uh, a few, few of the guys I trained with. Uh, 
my uh my significant other, she also helped me out. Just just like she'll call me or text me with random questions, and I have to answer them. Um, my parents, my sister, I just had them give me like a pop quiz on anything okay. I might see. So I was prepared. I was prepared for anything. Um, any any question that I may have asked the agency I signed with, um, he also shot me a lot of lot of questions. You know, of questions that could be asked and the proper way to respond to it uh, regarding any situation. And uh, so I, I, was, I was, it's a process, so you got to study. Of course, it's a job interview, so you, you have to be prepared for it, you know. So in all actually you got to have all uh, all bases covered. And I want to make sure, because I don't, I don't have the luxury of uh, of slacking in one area and excelling in the other. I have, to, I have to be, have to excel in all areas, being that I come from a small school. And, and talk about the pressure of that. I mean, like you said, you have to be darn near perfect at, right, during these right. interviews at the combine and all these different uh, uh, things that you're doing in terms of trying to right. impress these teams. Talk about the pressure involved in that. I mean, it's it's, it's unfair, but such is life, you know. It's sad, right. but it's true, hard, hard but it's fair. And, uh, you know, it's it's a little more added pressure because, you know, you, you have to you have to impress because they have a perceived notion about you that you aren't coachable, that you can't play, um, that you don't that you that you don't know defense or you can't expound on the defense or you can't retain large you can't retain and digest large amounts of information and regurgitate it um, uh, as if you knew it or as you you drew it up or you created defense so it's, it's definitely a, a stigma that comes along with it but I see it as a challenge you know right. as, as a competitor you ha- you have to look at it one or two ways you look at it as a as a uh, uh, a stepping stone or a stumbling a stumbling stone, and I look at it as a stepping stone. Um, I, I mean, I've faced a lot of adversity and obstacles in this journey, you know, just just to get to where I'm at. And uh, I've definitely come too far to let a little interview or let what somebody say about me not being able to play because I played at a small school get in my way. Um, and, and I wasn't wasn't always the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, but I always had a dream and a goal. And you know I'm, I'm on the cusp of that goal, on, on the brink of have, making a, a, a opportunity. I mean, opportunity, my my dream, a reality. So um, I'm not gonna let anything stand in my way, especially not a, a critic or, or any 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 blog blog writer out there. You are close to to, to making your dream come true, and, and you look at it now, Keith. I mean. Uh, do you look at any of the mock drafts? I mean, the mock—I I saw a few mock drafts. They had you going anywhere from the fourth round on. Uh, are you looking at the mock drafts, or, or is that something you kind of avoid during this time? No, that's, that's something I kind of avoid. Um, I've, I've had to because it's so I, it's so stressful, and, and you know, you see a lot about you. You know, you drive yourself crazy trying to worry about where you gonna go because you never know. It, it depends on. The team needs and what and what where they where they're aiming for the organization. Um, so I pretty I pretty much unfollowed everybody on Twitter that had anything to do with the NFL uh, draft <laughs> process. Um, I mean, because yeah, because when Twitter started up, of course you know I followed NFL Network and, and all the uh, Mike Mayock and, and Adam Sheffler, but I, I had to unfollow them because you know every other minute I've seen this guy getting released, this guy getting signed. It's such and such is talking to this guy. They talking to this guy. You know, this guy he did well. He, you know, say he he his draft stock is falling. So um, I I really had to had to distance myself from the whole right. process. I don't even watch TV no more because like every commercial is just like 
past the prime time, the biggest job interview of your life, and it just it just on and on and on, and it start you you continue to think about it, you continue to and at the same time while you're working, you start to worry yourself a little bit, and um, right. you know I, I just put I just put all my all my marbles and all my stones into my faith, you know pray about everything and worry about nothing, because at the end of the day God's will will be done and everything happens for a reason, so I end up and I will get exactly what God had for me. Um, so I'm not going to worry about uh, where I go because I've seen, as you said, I've seen as high as third round or on through to the seventh round. Um, but it doesn't matter what team I go to. I just want an opportunity to, to play and compete at the highest level and, and earn my stripes. Definitely. We're talking to former Howard linebacker Keith Pugh as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. Keith, this week you had your pro day. How did that go? It went well, you know. Uh, besides it being a little, a little frigid outside, um, I think it was like 30, 35, 36 degrees weather, a uh, little uh, snow flurries here and there. But it went well. You know, a lot of guys from my – a lot of seniors and uh, uh, the linebacker from uh, Georgetown was able to get some good looks in uh, with a few scouts there. And, you know, all I did – I re-ran the, I ran the 40 again you know, just, to, okay. just to try to improve my time. And uh, – and I, I really had fun because you, you just, I think the combine I was looking for I was looking forward to the pro day more than than the combine because I okay. didn't have a combine invite as you said until I got the combine invite you know all I all I was focused on was pro day because that was the guarantee right. and uh, you know but but the combine was a great experience and then I was blessed just to have that opportunity and uh, pro day was definitely a good experience you know I got to got to compete in, again and encourage a lot of my teammates with the same dream. Now, do you have any visits coming up with any teams at this point? Uh, I, have, I haven't heard of anything yet, you know, but I'm all, my okay. ears and eyes are always open. You know, any team called me, you know, of course I'd be more, more than willing right. and able to, to go work out. You know, I'm staying in shape. I'm still eating by eating on my diet, working out every day, making sure I'm running, get my cardio in. Um, so, at any given moment, you know, I could be ready because you don't know when you don't know you never know when that time comes. You could just get a call Definitely. the night before, you know, we got a fight for you tomorrow at two o'clock. You, you know, <laughs> it's a job interview, so you, you got to fire, you got to take that flight, you got to be ready. Um, Definitely. And, you know, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Luke twelve and forty eight. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. So, at any given moment, you just have, you have to be ready to take advantage of every opportunity whether that team draft you or not. Now, Keith, on the show, we like to play a little game called Getting to Know You. I want to ask a mm-hmm. few questions of you so we can get to know the real Keith Pugh. You ready to play? Yes, sir. I'm always ready. Who was your favorite NFL player growing up? Uh, Lawrence Taylor and Ray Lewis. Lawrence Taylor and Ray Lewis. Who was your favorite NFL team growing up? Uh, I didn't really have a team. I was more a fan of a player, but I became a Ravens fan. Um, in '96, okay. when Ray Lewis was drafted uh, from the University of Miami, a lot of defections from the Ravens. Who knows? Maybe they can give you a call on draft yes, day. Who yes, knows? Yes, sir. <laughs> Your favorite food? My favorite food? Uh, I love food, so I don't really have a favorite food. My favorite dish would be uh, stewed chicken, corn, and rice. Okay, okay. Now, the song or artist that you listen to before a big game? Um. I listen to Young Jeezy, and I okay. listen to a gospel song, you know, to, to, for God to cover me, my source and sustainer. I listen to uh, Total Praise 
Uh, Richard Smallwood. All right. And, and last but not least, Keith, what will a team get, and why should a team draft Keith Pugh on draft day? Because I'm going to be the hardest-working guy at the facility. I'm a leader, a natural-born leader on and off the field, um, a high-character guy, as ever did in my, my past uh, past endeavors, um, just being a recipient of the Pat Tillman Award. Um, right. And I'm going to be – my, my ability to study – and digest large amounts of information and regurgitate it just as quick as it's given to me. Um, my passion and love for the game. I, I, I just love the game, you know. I've, I've heard that I was a chatterbox and I talk too much, but when I'm on the field, <laughs> I just love to have. I love to have fun, and, you know. And I, I love, you know. I, I believe that, that my passion, that any passion is infectious. It's infectious. So definitely, I want to make sure. I want to make sure that. All, all ten other, you know, ten other guys is on the field, and maybe even the offense and special teams, you know, they feel that passion, they feel that intensity, they feel that that energy, that enthusiasm that I, that I exude every time I step on the field because to play football is a privilege, not a, not a birthright. You know, this Definitely. is an opportunity, and I, every time I lace up my cleats, I don't take it for granted at all because at any given moment, it could be taken away. You know, from walking down the stairs. To just a freak accident at practice. So uh, any at any given moment, you know, this opportunity can be taken away. So every time I strap my cleats up and I buckle up my helmet, I, I got to take it to the max. I love to take it to the limit um, every day. Now you're on Twitter. Where can your fans connect with Keith Pugh on Twitter? Yes, sir. Uh, at I T S K P U P O U G H one three. So that's it's K P U. 13. Fans, go out, follow this man on Twitter. This man is preparing to do big things on the NFL level. Keith, it was a pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure for you, for you, to, for, for, me to, be, for you to allow me to be on your show. And uh, I thank you. Thank you so much, and God bless you, sir. Likewise, it was a pleasure talking to you. All right. Take care, sir. Take care. Keith Pugh, linebacker. Howard University, former linebacker Howard University, as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. We've got another guy now that's on the line, another guy who's preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. Uh, the draft is right around the corner. The draft is right around the corner. And we're going to bring in a guy now who's preparing for this upcoming NFL draft. Let's bring him in now, former University of New Haven quarterback Ryan Oshetsky. Ryan, how are you, man? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Of course. And, Ryan, you did your thing at the regional combine. Ultimately, that earned you an invitation to the super regional combine, which comes in April. Talk about your performance at the regional combine. Um, Well, at the regional, I didn't even – I didn't run. I didn't do any of the running because my groin was kind of bothering me. Uh, I knew that I had to do I had to do a really good job when I when it came to throwing and uh, I was really relaxed. Um, I was loose out there and I felt good and I was delivering some good balls. Definitely, I mean, and it shows because you ultimately got the invite to the super regional combines, which is coming up very 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 soon. And at the regional combine, were you able to talk to any teams? Uh, I was not. There, there was only a couple teams there, but. I don't okay. think any of the players got to speak to any of the teams. Okay. Now, what kind of feedback at this point are you getting 
from teams or getting from your agent? Yeah, uh, well, since I've got invited to the Super Regional and my agent sent that out, I've been getting some, uh, uh, my agent's been getting contacted by some teams, so that's definitely some good news. They're just looking forward to seeing me down in Dallas. So, okay. I mean, that's good news. I just got to keep working and uh, get ready for it. Definitely. I mean, you, we, we talked about the Super Regional Combine, but you also have your Pro Day coming up as well. At this point, what do you feel like you need to work on and what do you feel like you need to improve on at the Regional Combine, and, uh, at the Super Regional Combine in Dallas and also at your Pro Day? Well, my Pro Day is actually Wednesday, so, I mean, okay. everything everything I've done is it's pretty much the haze in the barn pretty much, but... Uh, for the super regional, I definitely wanna. I don't. I want to get my forty down a little more. Um, but as far as concentration and where my focus is at, it's always with dropping back and uh, delivering good balls because uh, I mean that's the quarterback position, and uh, I'm a pocket guy. So as long as I do that well and I and I uh, I stay working at that, I think I'll be all right. We're talking to former University of New Haven quarterback Ryan Oshesky as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. And, Ryan, you had a good 2012 season. You were banged up a little bit, but still the numbers were very good for you. People will question the level of competition that you played against. How do you respond to that? Yeah, we'll probably get that a lot. But uh, the thing was, I mean, out of, uh, out of high school, I went to prep school, and then I went to the University of Louisville. So, I mean, I proved I could make it at the D1 level. Uh, but the thing is, I, I got a chip on my shoulder because guys are going to say that, you know. So I think I've been working a lot harder than, the, say, these uh, Division One guys because uh, maybe they think they got it easier, and I think I got it harder because I really have to show what I have to. Uh, I really have to show what I've been working at, and uh, definitely. Now, yep. now you look at it. I, I look at it, man. You're in a position where, like you say, you have to show what you got. But you have yeah. to be pretty darn near perfect in a lot of ways because you are playing, or you did play at a smaller school. Is there any yeah. added pressure for you? Uh, yeah, there's always pressure, um, and you're gonna put a lot of pressure on yourself. But you you really can't focus too much on that pressure. You just kind of got to take one day at a time and and just do what you can each and every day to get better. You know what I mean? Definitely. And football, it's in your blood. Your dad, Sandy, played in the league, quarterback with the Kansas City Chiefs. How has he prepared you for this moment? Well, he's my biggest critic, so after every game, he was he was the guy who would tell me, you know, what I had to get better at doing and improve on. So, I mean, and up to this point, he's always been there. Him and my mom, you know, he's been there every game. And uh, he's just there to uh, to get me better. And, uh, and, you know, he's a big part of why I'm here right now. And dad is is very hard on you. Give us an example of how dad is hard on you. Well, I walk off the field, you know, thinking I had a good game, and then he'll have ten things to say to me about dropping back or, or throwing the ball harder or something like that. So he's he's always there to to criticize, but it's only to make me better. So I understand. We're talking to former University of New Haven quarterback Ryan Oshetsky as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. And, Ryan, as we talked about, you played at a smaller school, University of New Haven, but you did a lot of great things at the University of New Haven. But there are a lot of people out here who may not have seen you play. Tell yeah. us some of the strengths of your game. All right, well, I'm, first of all, I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm almost 6'4", and I'm 240 pounds. So I bring a, 
like a physical kind of form to the quarterback position. Uh, I like to stay in the pocket, but I could, you know, I'm quick on my feet, so I could get outside and I could throw on the run. And my strengths, you know, it's got to be my deep ball and my arm strength. Uh, yeah. Ever since I've been little, everybody's been telling me I have a really strong arm. I've just been working out, uh, getting it stronger. Um, and I'm and I'm very accurate with the deep ball. Uh, as throughout my college career, uh, connected a lot of times uh, on deep posts and just go routes. Um, I mean, and I'm a playmaker too, so. Uh, I got a bunch of a little of everything, you know, and I, I try definitely. to be accurate. Definitely, and that's what that's going to be your calling card moving forward. Now, have you heard anything in terms of where you may go? Is it a situation where you may have to take the free agency route? Um, I try to stay really optimistic and, uh, mm-hmm. and confident, and uh, I like to always think that there's a possibility I could get drafted, but I'm willing to accept if I could just get signed, you know. I think I put myself in a pretty good position right now, and I just have to, to keep working towards my pro day and towards Dallas, you know, and uh, see what comes out of that. Definitely, but the, definitely. But at this point, it, it really doesn't matter to me, you know. I'm just trying to do what I can do and, and work every day. Definitely. And we're talking to former University of New Haven quarterback Ryan Oshesky as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. And, Ryan, on this show, we like to play a little game called Getting to Know You. I want to ask you a few questions so we, as the fans, can get to know you a little better. You ready to play? I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Ryan, who was your favorite NFL player growing up? Believe it or not, it was Emmitt Smith. Emmitt Smith, okay. Yeah. Big, a big cowboy guy? I was a big cowboy guy when I was younger. You know, big okay. cowboy guy. So the Cowboys are your favorite team? Uh, not right now. I don't really have a favorite team. I just I like to follow uh, the quarterbacks. Okay, so just quarterbacks. Who's your Who's your favorite quarterback? Aaron Rodgers, baby. He's a man. Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you're an Aaron Rodgers guy. Yeah. What's your favorite food? My favorite food. I'm a real simple guy. Uh, if I If I'm with pizza, I mean that's a, that's a good thing. I love pizza. I could eat probably no. two pies if, if if I wanted to. I guess you're kind of laying off the pies a little bit right now. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, I won't won't even touch a pizza right now. (laughs) And finally, the song or artist that you listen to before a big game? Oof, that's tough. I listen to a lot of music. I love music. Um, But as of last year, I was listening to – I pick one song and I just play on repeat. That's kind of how I do it. And and last year, I think it was Lupe Fiasco. He had a good song on it. Yep. So it's going to, it's going to be some a, a little Lupe before your uh, yeah. big super regional combine, also before your pro day. Uh, yeah, maybe some ASAP Rocky too. You never know. Okay. Okay. So it's going to be a variation of music yeah. that may be on before your big performance at the combine. I mean, at the super regional combine, also at your pro day. Ryan, I, I, I was looking on Twitter and I didn't see you on Twitter. Are we going to get yeah. you on Twitter? I don't have a Twitter. I feel like I don't. I don't need it. You know, it's a distraction. We gotta get you on Twitter. Well, yeah, we gotta get I you might on Twitter. I might get one. I might get one All right. too. All right. So hopefully we'll get you on Twitter, Ryan. It was a pleasure having you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck with all that you do, and let's do it again. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Take care. All right. See you later. Ryan Oshetsky, as he prepares for the upcoming 
NFL draft. I mean, we, we, we just talked to two small school guys and two guys that, you know, they have a lot to prove. And, you know, and having to prove these things, they, they, they got to be at the best. I can imagine the pressure of that. I can truly, truly imagine the pressure involved in having to be darn near perfect in order for you to get to where you want to go. That, that's got to be tough. That's definitely have to, that has to be tough. But it is the nature of the situation, and it kind of is what it is in a lot of ways. But, I mean, that's truly, truly, truly has to be a tough, tough thing for these players to deal with as they prepare for the upcoming NFL draft. We're a little late for this, but the second hour of Go For It starts right now. In this hour, it's the third anniversary of Go For It, so you know someone we have to bring on. We have to bring on an 11-time Pro Bowler, Hall of Famer, the great Willie Rowe. So he's going to come on and join us in this hour, talk a lot of great things going on in the world of sports and football. I mean, some of these rule changes that have been going on. But before we get to rule changes, actually, let's go to the rule changes now. Let's go to the rule changes. I mean, one rule that was changed, and this is a rule that needed to be changed, I think, is the tuck rule. It is finally dead and gone. I mean, it it just took so long for the tuck rule to go. But, I mean, you know, a lot of times in in football and sometimes in sports in general, these rules that are out there just, you know, common sense does not prevail. I mean, the tuck rule is one of those rules where common sense did not prevail. And the reality is, you know, if – if it wasn't for the tuck rule, maybe the Patriots dynasty that we saw with Tom Brady and those guys, maybe it would not have happened. I mean, that was a fumble. It doesn't take a genius, a rocket scientist, to look at that and say that it was not a fumble. I mean, it's a fumble. That's a fumble. That's a fumble. I mean, it just was a fumble. And I'm not a Raiders fan, but if I was, you know, I would say, you know, I'd be crying. I'd, I'd, I'd cry. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd have tears for days if, that, if I was a Raiders fan. I mean, what a way to lose a game. I mean, you know, obviously the rule is the rule, and at the time that was the rule. But you look at it, I mean, common sense has to prevail with some of these rules, and I'm glad they got rid of the tuck rule. Are you happy about the end of the tuck rule, Jeremy? Well, I mean, it's a, it was a good rule to get rid of, but, I, I mean, in a way, Paul, it, it played a role in one game, and you, did, you didn't really see that much of it. Uh, it's smart that, that it's gone. Uh, there, there's no question of, about it. I, I, I mean, I think the problem with with a lot of these tuck rule type rules is it's so you have to move it down to the frame level, and that's not really football. That that takes away from the actual sport and how it makes it way too technical. There needs to be some level of the human element. Exactly. And I think, you know, common sense has to prevail. Common sense has to prevail. And and I think in a lot of ways, common sense was not prevailing because of this rule. Now the rule's gone. 
And, you know, it's a little too late for the Raiders. I mean, what? That happened in 2002. We're talking 2013. It's 11 years ago. So it's, it's a little too late for those boys. But it kind of changed the course of history, and it, it has started the Patriot dynasty in a lot of ways. That was the beginning of, of the excellence of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick together. That was the beginning of it. That was the beginning of it. And if it wasn't for the tuck rule, maybe, maybe, maybe the rule would not be in place. Maybe. I, I said the rule. If it wasn't for the t- that whole tuck rule, maybe the Patriots dynasty would not be in place. I mean, that dynasty started right there. The dynasty started right there. It started right there. Right there. It started right there. But more more, more importantly, let's go to, the I think, the bigger rule that came out of, of the owners' meeting. Uh, and, and if you were a big – I guess if you're a big fan of seeing the tuck rule go, then I hope that you're screaming and hollering, if you will, at the at the now start of this new offensive illegal contact. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You know, when I first obviously when I first heard the rule, I was not for it, and I'm not really truly for it at this point at this time. But I will say this. I will say this. You know, do I really think NFL owners care about the players? No, I don't. Do I think they want to want that want to have the perception? that they care about the players, of course, because as we know in this world, perception is reality. So with that being said, you know, they are given a perception that they do care about these players, and that's where they're, they are adopting some of these rules. Now, in, in terms of this rule, it's going to be difficult. i, I got to see how it's going to get called, because that's the thing. That's going to be the important thing. How are they going to call this rule? So we, we look at – the rules in terms of defenseless receivers. We look at the rules in terms of uh, hitting the quarterback and, and, and some of these other rules they have enacted uh, to protect the game and make the game, quote-unquote, safer. i, I got to see how it plays out. i got to see how it plays out. But before I continue on, i got to bring in this guy, Hall of Famer, 11-time Pro Bowler, been a fixture on this show, the one, the only, Willie Rowe. Willie, how are you, man? How you doing, Paul? Great to talk to you again. Great to have you. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, Paul, they have so many rules now. I don't. I mean, I don't know how you're gonna be able to play football. You know, Thank so you, many, Willie. The they're doing so many rules. I mean, you guys, guys can't. Um, uh, guys aren't gonna be able to. They, they, they're gonna react. They're gonna, they're gonna be trying to think too much. Yeah, I, I think you know. To your point, I think that could happen. I think, like, and and. How do you – I just – I'm interested how they're going to call this thing. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to call this. I mean, because I think you're going to run into a situation where you see some calls where, you know, when in doubt, throw the flag. When in doubt, throw the flag. Is that going to be the case here? If they have any type of doubt, are they going to just throw the flag? And when bodies get to flying and, and tumbling and falling, I mean, how do you monitor that, you know, in, in – you know, I guess it's a head 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 combat, uh, contact, but if somebody's falling down or going to tackle somebody or they or falling awkwardly, I mean, are they just calling that calling that when the guy is just upright and running and, and it's a head to head comeback, or what about when the guy's falling or guys are twisting and bodies are going down? I mean, things can happen or somebody can get knocked into somebody. And, and yeah, also to your point, I mean, what if you know the defender goes a little lower as they're lowering their shoulder? What if the defender goes lower too? 
and then you have a situation where it could be a situation where it's helmet to helmet. So it's it's going to be very hard. I agree. It's going to be very interesting how they call this thing. It's going to be very hard, I think, to call this thing. And I think, to your point, I mean, the rules, all these various rules that they're that the NFL is laying out. And I know they want the perception that they care about the players, and but I, I know they want that out there. So that's why they're doing some of these rules. But I, I just don't know how you can. It, it just gets harder and harder to call these things. Like you said, it's harder to recognize these things. It, it really does. But I understand why they're doing it. I, you know, you understand why they're doing it. I do understand why they're doing it. And they need it. And uh, I saw that new thing they have. They said they're going to put it in the helmets now. They can gauge uh, how hard you impact it when you hit somebody. Right. They're coming up with something like you put on your head like a, like a rag. It's kind of like a type of, uh, you know, not plastic, but, you know, the the stretch, the stretchy material, you put that on your head, and it's got a little sensor in the back of it, and it can gauge hitting. That's some type of new technology they're coming out with. But I mean, I mean, they're trying to do everything they can to save the game. But uh, I mean, football is a violent sport, and um, I mean, guys played this in leather helmets a hundred years ago, or you know, not in the forties and thirties. So uh, you know, it's just uh, one of those things. I mean, you can only protect it for so to a certain point, and. Uh, after that, I mean, you know, the guys have to just try to do a better job, but, but I mean, it's still football. Right, and and I, I think in a lot of ways it's just occupational hazard. I mean, it is what it is, and football is not an, uh, a soft game. It's a violent game, you know. So at some point, guys are going to get hurt. You start colliding into one another, uh, one another things are going to happen. And, I mean, I, I just don't know. Here's my only concern with it. My only concern is, and I don't think this is going to turn people away from the game. I mean, we've seen all these different rules, defensive receiver, you know, protecting the quarterback. I mean, we've seen all these different rules that came out, and and people are still watching, and the game is still the game. My concern is at some point there's going to be one rule change that's going to turn the whole dynamic of the game, and that may have people turning away from the game. And my concern could be the kickoff could be next. That's that's the thing that could be next, and to me, that's the most exciting, one of the more exciting parts of a game. So I hope that doesn't go away. But is there a possibility, Willie, that all these different rules that they're coming up with, that is there a possibility that it could turn people away from the game? Do you see that happening? Um, I, I don't know if that's going to turn people away. I mean, I think the, the, the lawsuits and some of the stuff that's going on, you know, these players getting ALS and, you know, injuries, I think that might that might have something to do with it in the future. But I, th- I think people are going to be, people are going to be uh, tuning the football for a while. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, uh, if that's going to totally turn against the game. I think people are going to keep watching. I just, I just want, I just, you know, the concussion deal and the head deal has to be addressed as well as when guys are injured, they have to report to the team and say they're injured, which a lot of guys get a, get a, get a hard-headed and they won't say they're injured. And here's the thing about that. I mean, it happened this year with Alex Smith. I mean, Alex Smith essentially lost his job because of a concussion. Now, granted, Callan Kaepernick came in and balled out and did what he had to do, but Alex Smith basically lost his job because of a concussion. Are we going to run into situations now where guys are just going to start hiding these things a little more? Well, you're not going to be able to hide it as much if they see it during the live action. You know, right. it's the ones you don't really see that maybe have to after the play on different ways that you, you might be able to hide. But 
when somebody's down or if it happens in the as many cameras as they have and angles, you're going to be able to catch some of them, but not all of them. Right. Yeah, and I just it's going to be an. I think the key thing to this whole thing is how the referees are going to call it, and at some point, I mean. You know, you, they're only human, and all these different rules. I mean, it's going to be very hard to call, but I guess that's why they paid the big bucks to do it. And Willie, over the years, man, we we took this journey with you in terms of this hall, in terms of the Hall of Fame. We took the journey for it with you. You came on earlier in the show. Well, you know, early in the, when the show first started a few years back. You were on, man, and 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 looking at it, we we took the journey from you know getting on the ballot and then ultimately. Getting becoming a finalist, and ultimately this year, ultimately becoming a Hall of Famer, man. It's been a, it's been a nice ride. It's been a fun ride. It's been great. You know, uh, you know, football's been very good to me, and you know, opened a lot of doors for me and my family, and going to Hawaii lots of times and traveling, and you know, being and going to. I just got back from Austin, Texas, a few weeks ago. You know, you got Earl Campbell inviting you to your functions for MS and different things like that. So uh, it's been great. It's been a great ride. Definitely. It's been a great ride for you. It's been a great ride for the show. And it's been great having you on, man, over the years. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. What do you think about the Baltimore Ravens and what they're doing? Do you think that was a plan already to break that whole team up with that situation up after after this year, even if they didn't win the Super Bowl? Do you think that was something that was not planned? That's a good question. I mean, you wonder now whether they're going to break this up anyway. I mean, Flacco's contract didn't help, though. You know, this year is not really big a big cap hit, but maybe they're realizing, you know what, A, you can't keep everybody, and B, that, you know, some of the guys that they let go, maybe they're saying, you know, you know Ed Reed, maybe he's not the same player. And he's not the same player that he once was, but, you know, Ellerby was a big loss for them, that middle linebacker. He was supposed to, you know, kind of replace Ray Lewis, but losing him was big. Kruger, Paul Kruger, that was a the guy they said that they planned to lose. They were going to lose him. And Bolden, you can even argue Bolden, even though he had a great playoff run, his numbers in the regular season over the years aren't really eye-popping. So, I, I don't know. Here's the thing about the Ravens. Here's what the Ravens do so well. They draft very well. They draft very, very well and do a good job of, of replenishing their talent. They have a quarterback in Flacco. I don't think he's elite, but he's getting paid elite money. But I, I guess at this point, winning the Super Bowl and how he won the he's Super Bowl. He's a playoff run. I mean, 11 picks and winning the Super Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, he, he his playoff run was impressive. I, I can't knock him for his playoff run, but is he the, the the best quarterback in this league like he's getting paid? No, I don't think so, but, he, you know, he did what he had to do at the right time. I don't know. I mean, you look at this Ravens team, I mean, they're going to look different, but how much – I don't know how – I mean, I think they'll be able to replace these uh, the guys that they, they missed and the guys that they lost. I believe in Ozzie Newsom. So I'm going to I'm gonna believe – I believe in Ozzie Newsom and what, what he can do. But they lost their whole, 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 whole defense. Their whole and defense is gone. And as quiet as kept, Ozzie Newsom has been one of the If you look at the Ravens' track record for the last 10 years or whatever, how long he's been to him, he's done a hell of a job uh, with, with, with a winning program to put up some real good teams for the last, you know, how many years. But he's been to him. He's done an excellent job. Definitely. Definitely. And that's why... I got to – and Ozzy, I trust. I trust Ozzy Newsom here in this particular situation. But I look at the Ravens, obviously they're going to be a much different team in 2013. They're truly going to be a much different team. Better, 
I'm not so sure. I, I I look at this Super Bowl run, and I you know it is what it is. But and the the, the playoffs are kind of like the NCAA tournament. Not all the times do the best team win. Do I think the Ravens were the, truly the best team in football? I don't. I think Denver was a better team, and, and I thought San Francisco was a better team. But it is what it is. You know, it, stuff happens, and the Ravens made the plays necessary to win the Super Bowl and get, get to the Super Bowl first off and win the Super Bowl. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I look at this team, this Ravens team, and I, they're definitely not going to repeat. I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think they will. We'll see. And, 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 you know, they got, they got Michael Orr and some of these linemen coming up that are going to demand some big money, you know, at least 10 a year. I, one thing I was surprised about, Paul, I thought after Joe Thomas got that contract he got, and I know that he had went to <laughs> perennial Pro Bowlers, I thought that uh, uh, the big tackle from Atlanta or the one from New Orleans would demand a little more money in the free agent market. But I guess the GMs decided to bring them back down a little bit where the guys were getting six or seven per year, uh, you know, and Joe Thomas, when he got that huge contract, I thought this, those guys would have been more in the 10 million range, but more, more so than the six or seven range. And, and you talking about Bushrod, Jermon Bushrod from uh, the Saints. I mean, that was a good move for the Bears. That definitely was a good move for the Bears. And, you know, the Bears, the one thing they needed was offensive line help, and he's a guy that's just solidified or at least make that offensive line better. And you, you look around the league also, Willie, we're seeing a lot of guys, Erlacher, a guy that was synonymous with the Chicago Bears. He's gone. And, James, and Ed, James Harrison. Yeah, James Harrison. Ed Reed also was synonymous with the Ravens over these years. He's gone. I mean, obviously in the NFL there is no loyalty. I mean, they're always trying to get cheaper, and they're always trying to get younger. But uh, are you surprised that Ed Reed and, and Brian Urlacher will be playing on different teams next season? Well, well you got to look at it. Urlacher uh, has been hurt the last couple of years. He's slowed down. I mean, he played 13 years. Ed Reed, a couple of years ago, we didn't think he was going to be able to last till now. So, I mean, right. a couple of years ago, with Ed Reed's hip or whatever was bothering him, we didn't know he was going to be able to sustain it this long. So, I mean, the guys that understand it's a business, they understand their bodies are hurting or – you know, it's hard to make it through that 16-game grind. But, you know, I, you know, now I guess they think they probably can make it through it the way, the way they're practicing now. And you can't do all the OTAs and stuff like that. And, you know, the teams will take care of these guys. Man. But you look, I mean, I don't know how many years it has, it has been in the league. You can look that up. But, you know, Erlach has played 13 years at middle linebacker. I mean, that's a long time to play linebacker. And he's been on the field since he was a rookie, I think, as a starter. And, uh, you yeah. know, eight-time Pro Bowler will be a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, should be first, second, ballot, you know, Hall of Fame type of guy. So, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be a situation where, uh, you know, you got to understand your body and understand the business. And, and uh, they did offer him $2 million, and I guess he was insulted. But, you know, that, it's a situation. It is the nature of the game. And, Willie, I see you're on your plane. I don't want to keep you any longer, sir. I appreciate you stopping by, man. There's no, I mean, the three years of this show, greatly appreciate you coming on over the years, man, and good luck in all that you do, and let's do it again. Thank you. I did, I did get my house sold, and I did downsize, and, uh, you know, uh, smaller, but uh, the dog, trying to get the dogs used to the new place, got a nice yard, but, uh, you know, you know the, the times it is, you got a guy got to cut back, and, uh, like you said, uh, these guys have to understand in that football league, you got a lot of football to live after you get done playing football. So, but you do the best you can with your money so you can uh, live comfortably. 
Definitely. You downsize. Still got a beautiful house there, man. It's all the pictures. So good luck yeah. to you, man. Good luck. You, you sold a beautiful house, by the way. That was a beautiful well, house. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Well, thank you. Thank you, Paul. The great Willie Rofe taking some time out to talk to us as, you know, he's preparing to go away somewhere, travel, enjoy his life. He did sell his house. He had a beautiful house. I don't know if you saw the pictures on online, Jeremy. But I did not, Paul. I, 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 I mean, uh, I, I, maybe you'll forward him over to me. But, uh, he, well, they were online. Like, it, was on, it was online. It was online, his pictures of the, <laughs> the house that he sold. It was a beautiful house. But, uh, you know, as he says, you know, moving forward, yeah, you got to downsize in life. You can't can't live on the high on the hog every time, all the time. And you know the finances are your finances, and life is life. So it is what it is. No, I mean he, he That's what I said. I think it was interesting. Uh, you know the, his uh, the way it ended in, in terms of his little love note, if you will, to uh, to other players, uh, and 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 how much longer you you know football lasts after you're done playing. Yeah, for me, life football doesn't last forever. You know, that's just the nature of life. Nothing lasts forever, which is also the nature of life. But a streak that's been lasting for a very long time, switching gears to the NBA and going back to the Miami Heat streak, 25 games, 25 games. But let me remind you, they still have to win nine more to break the record, eight more to tie. So, Jeremy, let's go through this exercise now. Let's go through the exercise. Let's look at their next uh, nine opponents, and let's go through it. And we'll see when this streak will end. Let's start tonight. Excuse me. Let's start Sunday, March 24th, a home game against the, the mighty Charlotte Bobcats. Does the streak continue? Uh, you know, I, I want to go out on a limb and say no, and I'll tell you why. Because of against what the Bobcats at home? The the, the well, heater at home against the Charlotte sorry, Bobcats. I'm, I'm sorry. I want. I'm sorry. I meant to say that's gonna. They're gonna win there, and and then I think they're gonna lose. And I'm gonna say why. Well, let, let, Paul, let's let's take a let's take a step by step. Let's take a let's take a game by game. You say the Bobcats they win. Yes. I agree with you. They win. They make it 26 at Orlando ESPN game Monday night. Do they beat the Magic at Orlando? Last time these two teams played. The Heat beat the Magic in overtime. And does the streak end there? I I say it does, and I'm saying this mainly because of two reasons. One, it's back-to-back for them. Two, it it is coming off of – they're coming off of a game they actually should have lost their last game. And there's no – they came from 20-plus down to win that game. I think they're spending too much energy to keep up a meaningless streak right now. And I, I, I actually tweeted that the other the other day. I mean, this streak is great. And I I want them to cut to break the record, to be honest with you, because I think it's great for the game. But the streak is great. But, I, you know, the, the, the physical uh, that you go through, the physical grind of 82-game season is, is that. I mean, it's a physical grind. But the mental grind is what I think gets you. And mentally speaking, having to win all these games in a row – I think there's going to be some kind of mental toll there. Now, does it affect them in terms of winning a championship? I don't know. And, you know, if there's any team that can deal with this mental grind, I think it's the Heat because they're used to this type of attention. They're used to this type of attention. This is nothing for them. They are the Heatles. People come to see them. People are always talking about them. They are the Heatles. So you're saying 
Monday, March 25th, in Orlando, the street ends. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, and honestly, I, I know this is going to sound even more callous. I think if you're the Heat, I, 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 and I'm going, I'm, I, I, I'm being honest. Before an injury occurs, you have to ask yourself, what is the real value of this streak versus the real value of the NBA championship? Because well, let me let me the, stop you here from let me stop you for here for a moment. This is a forty-year-old record. So this this is the type of record. Yes, championships make you immortal, but these type of records, you know, they 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 stay and make even more so, so immortal if, if there's so a such thing. So you're going after the record more, more so than the ring. No, well, I think you're going for both of them. But I mean, if the record's in front of you, I mean, this is opportunity this, to to be set aside for a long, long time. I mean, this is a record seeing, that lasts seeing, for forty years. You're, you're seeing though, Paul, that. This record, the amount of pressure, because, first of all, in the 70s when the Lakers did it, there was not media uh, attention and the media, the number of media outlets. This, this is now being, I mean, basically ESPN has become, you know, CNN. They're round-the-clock coverage of, of this streak, and it is, it is good for ESPN that they get something to talk about in between, you know, a slow time. To, to what I always wonder, to what end um, is this really worth when you are, I think, Dwayne Wade certainly is, is well past the half point of his career, and he's having to hustle in games that I think ordinarily you want to save these kind of players for what will be a very difficult playoff run. Well, it will be a tough playoff run, but the reality is this. If I look at it in terms of the NFL, if you have an opportunity to go undefeated, you go after it. And, and that just is what it is. You have an opportunity to break a record that's lasted for 40 years, you have to go after it. And I remember Michael Irvin saying this. Um, he said, you know what, he would give away some of his championships to go undefeated in a season and win a championship. That's what he said. So th- that record means a lot to him. And, that's a, you know, I think that means a lot to the players. I mean, the, we talk about the 72 Dolphins forever. We're always going to talk about the 72 Dolphins, and we're always going to hear about them popping champagne every time a team loses. You know, the, every time the last team that's undefeated loses. We're going to see that. We're going to hear about it. So well, those guys are all well, guys, well, and they're immortal. So, I mean, a championship does make you immortal, but if you break this type of streak, you become yeah. even more so immortal let, in my let's, mind. Let's, let's, let's be real. Let's context. This, how, when was before – so before Miami got to 20-plus games, how many times a year do you hear the Miami Dolphins versus the 71 Lakers? Well, I you mean, never, but you, you – Paul, you never – so you're right. Thank you for admitting that. You never hear you, – you haven't heard about the 71 Lakers since 1971-72. Well, we haven't heard about them until now. To your, yes, I agree with you. But, 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 but I, I think in this age – you talked about this age of media, this age of social networking, this age where everything is on TV, everybody knows, and with the star power that's on the Miami Heat team, I mean the star power that is on the oh, team. We're will, talking about a guy in LeBron James who many say or could many believe could be the guy who could go down as the best player to ever do it. He could go down as the best to ever do it. And in this day and age, this day and age of media, this day and age of, of, of you know, all the, the attention that these guys get, we're going to be talking about this for a long, 
long time. But then to your point, I mean, there's some star power on that Laker team, 71-72 team. I mean, Will Chamberlain, Jerry West. I mean, the logo, Jerry West. So, I mean, you know, Gail Goodrich also on that roster. So there are star power on that team as well. But I think, you know, this is a Miami Heat team. Oh. I think that's about history and about chasing history. And they came together, Bosh, Wade, and uh, LeBron, to make history. And part of making history is they winning championships. But also another part of history is to get the streak you're, record. You, you're, you're, you, you are Rand, you're Rand Paul. You're just filibustering right now. This streak is not what I – when they came together, I don't know in any of the press conferences – that I heard them mentioning this streak. All I heard about was No, I, obviously. So you heard titles, titles, titles. This, this I heard not one, deep... not two, not three, not four, not five, right. not six, not seven. I heard that. Right. So you, 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 can, you can yuck it up there all, all you want until you can meet a genius. But the bottom line is this streak is a media fascination. So, so in my opinion, and I'm, you, you talk about going undefeated in football is – is totally different. That's comparing an apple and a steak. Than I, I, I'm not. Steak. I'm not saying. You're, well, you're yeah, wild. I, I guess. Right I guess to your point. I guess to your point. Something that would be more closely related to going undefeated is winning seventy plus games. That's something I guess that's more closely related to that dolphin streak. But this streak right here, we're talking about thirty three games in a row, has been around for forty plus oh. years. Forty-one years. That's a long time. I believe, like Joe DiMaggio's fifty-six games, uh, hitting streak. I believe that this is an unbreakable record. I think this is an unbreakable record, and I don't think this record will be broken. I don't think this record will be broken. This is an un. Breakable record. There's some things you, in life are just unbreakable. Where do you see it losing? Do you, are you in agreement that it's going to happen sooner rather than later? Um, you're, you're getting the sense that as the streak goes on, they're starting to hang on, hang on, and hang on, but they're hanging on and they're still winning. I'm looking at Chicago, which would be interesting, at Chicago. But I'm 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 going to zero in on March 31st in San Antonio. Actually, you know what? Let me. Uh, you know what? I'm looking at March 31st at San Antonio. I think that's a Spurs team. Tony Parker's back. I think that's a team. You know what? The Miami Heat and the Spurs, two teams battling for the top records in this game, in this league. And I also think, you know, Spurs may be wanting to send a message at this point to the Miami Heat. At the, and, and you look at that game, March 31st, the Heat are on a The Heat would be on – that would be the final game of their four-game road trip where they go to Orlando, to Chicago, to New Orleans, and then in San Antonio. So that's the, that's the getaway game. That's the last game. I, I look at that and I say, you know what, it ends in – San Antonio. It ends in San Antonio, March 31st. The streak ends at 29. But I will say this. If they get by San Antonio, they probably will break 
this quote-unquote unbreakable record because you have the Knicks at home April 2nd. Charlotte, they travel to Charlotte April 5th. They have Philadelphia and Milwaukee at home. Philadelphia would be 33. Milwaukee would be 34. So I think that this streak ends March. And I was wrong about this. I thought it would end in Toronto last Sunday. So obviously I'm a little wrong. But if I'm going to prognosticate this thing at this point, I think the streak ends March 31st in San Antonio. March thirty first. Well, that's where well, I'm. Let me let, let me let me. I do, I do want to you know I I want to grab your expert, if you will, opinion in in the in the state, let's say, of the East and and the Heat right now with the playoffs and 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 what happened with that. I think more attention actually should be paid to the pacing LeBron James put on uh, you know, Terry Jason Terry on that dunk. Do you do you see the Celtics at all being able to challenge the Heat for any positioning in the later rounds of the playoffs? Or well, I look Celtics at be- it seems like you know what you look at the Celtics and it seems like that's a team that played the Heat tough. I mean, did I think the Celtics were going to take the Miami Heat to the uh, the seventh to the seventh game of the Eastern Conference Finals? No, I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't expect the Celtics to take the Heat seven games. I didn't expect that to happen at all. I really didn't. So I slept on the Celtics in, in terms of last year, but even at the same time sleeping on the Celtics, if you remember, the Celtics could have ended that series game six in Boston. So the Celtics could have ended that series in, in Boston game six. But I look at this whole thing now, and, and you saw LeBron James and the performance that he had last year in Boston. I mean, he was ridiculous in that game, and that was one of the reasons the Heat were ultimately able to take the series to seven and ultimately able to get to the NBA Finals, and we all know what happened after that. But anyway, the Boston Celtics are currently in the seventh spot in the playoffs. So the reality is if they stay there, and that's probably a good place for them to, to want to stay, they could actually get, or if they can advance in these playoffs, they could get the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, if they fall to eight, or even if they get to six, that's a good spot for them because they still avoid the heat in the in the second round. So Boston is a team that played the heat well, but the reality is, can Boston get to that point? I mean, let, let's be honest. Rajon Rondo is not walking through that door. He's not. He can't. His ACL is damaged. It's not happening. So you you missed that part, but without Rondo, this has been a highly successful team. This, this team has been fairly successful without Rondo. But I look at the East, and to me, Boston, if they can get to Miami, could give the, the Heat some trouble. The Knicks could give the Heat some trouble. But to me, the team that could give the Heat the most trouble in the Eastern Conference is the Indiana Pacers, and that's because of the size that they have, that's because of the length that they have with, with Paul George, with uh, George Hill, with Roy Hibbert, with Tyler Hansbrough, with, you know, David West, with, you know, I think that is the team in the Eastern Conference that could give the Heat a legitimate scare. The Knicks could give them a series, but I don't think they can beat them. The Celtics could give them a series, but I don't think they can beat them. 
The Indiana Pacers, in terms of what they present, and let's not forget, the Indiana Pacers did have a 2-1 lead on the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference semifinals a year ago. So the Indiana Pacers are a team that I look at. It's a team that I that I say could theoretically give the Heat problems in the East. But do I think they can beat the Heat? Do I think they'll beat the Heat? Because they can beat them. But will they beat them? No, they won't. There's not a team in the Eastern Conference that will beat the Heat in a seven-game series. You can argue at this point, the way the Miami Heat are playing, there's not a team in this league that could give the Miami Heat a series and beat the Miami Heat four times in a seven-game series. They can give them a series. Let me take that back. They can give them a series. But I'm saying in terms of beating the Miami Heat four times, I don't see it. I don't see it. I mean, San Antonio would be tough. Obviously, OKC would be tough. And here's the thing. Not to kind of change subjects in some respect, but look at the Denver Nuggets. You know, we're talking about the Miami Heat. The only reason we're talking, you know, obviously the Miami Heat are the best team in the league at this point, but we're talking about the Miami Heat, and we're talking about the Miami Heat. They're on a 25-game win streak. But in talking about the Miami Heat, we're forgetting what the Denver Nuggets are doing. They're on a 14-game win streak. 14-game win streak, and the Denver Nuggets are creeping up the Western Conference standings. I mean, they are now currently the third seed in the Western Conference, ahead of the Clippers. So the Denver Nuggets are slowly creeping up the standings. And if they continue to win, and, you know, they're playing some big-time games and playing some some big-time basketball, and, you know, obviously they, they had an improbable victory against the Philadelphia 76ers, my Philadelphia 76ers, uh, an improbable victory there. But, you know, they, they are playing some good basketball. And while we're on the subject of the Denver Nuggets, Jeremy, let's go through this exercise. Let's go look at the Denver Nuggets next few games. And I want you to prognosticate and tell me when do the Nuggets streak end. When does the nugget, Nuggets streak end, Jeremy? Let's look at Saturday, March 23rd. Tonight, I, that's tonight. Saturday, March 23rd would be tonight. And that is against the Sacramento Kings. Does the streak continue? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, yeah, they're going to win tonight. You don't see any way that the Sacramento Kings... Well, I mean, there's all, where there's a will, there's a way. I, I mean, where do I see them losing? I see them losing in the same place you see the Heat losing. I see them losing in, 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 in San Antonio. I, I think... Like you said, I think the, the, the Nuggets are a, they have found they have found their playing style. They're 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 rolling right along. I mean, uh, to go on what you said, you're right. I mean, other than um, the, the the Oklahoma Thunder, I don't know that there's a team in the NBA that that can beat this uh, this Miami Heat team, especially when. You haven't. We haven't even really seen who I think is probably the most underrated player on their team, Ray Allen, get super hot in the playoffs yet in close games and just you know uh, annihilate a, a, a five point lead in six or, or or ten seconds. So so ultimately, I'm, are the Nuggets are going to be a force? It sure seems like they have turned the corner. They're young. Um, they're very talented and. They can they can certainly maybe give the Thunder uh, a run for their money, but the, San Antonio is a stalwart, and and you're dealing with a veteran team that'll do what they do every year. Respect respectable 
uh, team. They're, they're going to win where they need to win. They're going to get in the playoffs, and they're going to disappoint and lose. And the Nuggets are kind of doing it the way the Detroit Pistons did it back in 2004. Remember that Pistons team? That was about a team, and the team that the Pistons were the Pistons were able to beat the Lakers in the NBA Finals because they were about a team that was a cohesive unit. That 2004 Pistons team. When you look at the Denver Nuggets, they got six guys who average in double figures, and two guys who average at who average 9.4 points per game in Javale McGee and Andre Miller. So you have six guys, Ty Lawson, Gallinari, Gallinari, excuse me, Andre Iguodala, Corey Brewer, Wilson Chandler, and Kenneth Fareed, who average in double figures. This is a balanced team. This is a balanced roster, a balanced roster in terms of the Denver Nuggets. They are a balanced team. They are a team that, you know, that, that everybody contributes. Everybody Contributes, and I want to look for a moment now. I just want to make a, a comparison and looking at that 2004 Pistons team, and looking at you know how they said in terms of the points per game and how many players they had in double figures, how many players averaged in double figures for that Pistons team. And I'm looking at it; they had three: Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, and Rasheed Wallace. Three guys who averaged in double figures back in 2004 when the Pistons won the title. But I, I, I just look at it, the, this, this Nuggets team, and I think George Carl likes that. I think he likes the balance that this uh, Denver team has. And you look, here's the funny thing. We looked at it many years ago when they made the trade, uh, when they traded Melo to the Knicks. The Denver Nuggets actually, in a lot of ways, became a better team when they got rid of Melo. Better, obviously, they fare better than the Knicks. Both of these teams haven't made it out of the first round of the NBA final. I mean, the NBA playoffs. But the Nuggets have had more regular season success, and obviously, based off what we're seeing now with this Nuggets team, the Nuggets are climbing the Western Conference ladder. And if they can stay hot, theoretically, they're three games behind Oklahoma City. I don't see them catching San Antonio, but they could theoretically get to that second seed if they continue playing the type of basketball that they're playing. They can get to the second seed. And that was very interesting. The Nuggets team, here's my concern about them. When the playoffs come, the game slows down. The game becomes slower. And this is a team that likes to run the Denver Nuggets. How does that translate into the playoffs? How will that translate into the playoffs? That should be very, very interesting. Will it translate? And that, to, to me, is the key with the Denver Nuggets. But we'll see. We shall see how that whole thing plays out. But the NBA playoffs will be very exciting. Very, very exciting. We have a first team who we have the first team to advance to the Sweet 16. Michigan beating up on VCU, beat up VCU 78 to 53. Michigan now moves on to the Sweet 16, the first uh, VCU is the first Atlantic 10 team to lose in this tournament. And so they moved, the Michigan Wolverines move on to the Sweet 16, the first team to punch their ticket to the Sweet 16. So the tournament is hot and heavy (coughs) on here today, and it should be very, 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 very exciting to watch moving forward. And and I look at it now, and I want to 
interesting story out of Alabama where, you know, you, you had that gentleman there who, uh, what, poisoned, um, poisoned trees? Poisoned trees. Uh, it was a crazy story. Crazy, 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 crazy story. Crazy story. You heard about it, Jeremy? Uh, I actually did not. So I was, I was listening intently. This is probably well, one of the few that I didn't. They were poisoned, apparently. Two oak trees at Auburn University will, will probably die, they say here, but they were poisoned there by an angry football fan. Two trees were poisoned by an angry football fan. Harvey Updike who was charged with criminal mischief in this particular case, 62 years old, actually. A little too old to be acting stupid like that. I mean, come on. Come on. A little too old to be acting dumb like that. I mean, you got to be stupid to, to – you must have no life. I mean, <laughs> well, I guess you're – you know, I, I was listening and I'm trying to – that's a good way of putting it, Paul. You know, some of these people, I, 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 they, maybe like you, Paul, they need a Twitter. <laughs> maybe they just need. Maybe he needed an outlet. I mean, wow, it's crazy. He poisoned the 130-year-old trees. Poisoned them. I mean, these trees have been around for a while. 130-year-old trees, and they're going to die because of Harvey Updike and his. Need of a Twitter. I mean, maybe he should get on Twitter and, um, you know. And maybe, or maybe, you know, just maybe, and, 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 and you know how I feel about all this. Maybe maybe all these reality shows and, and Twitter, maybe all this isn't really worth it. Maybe we as a society need to look at Harvey Updike and say, are these people doing this just to get on the news? I mean, because if you, if you pitch a pilot to TLC, your reality show, your your Emmy winning program, and they don't they can't get you in because they got too many other shows in development. Maybe the best alternative is is, is to you know to, to, to shock people, to do something to prove that you're you're reality worthy, that that you can you, you can kill trees. And, and, and I get that, I get that, but you're talking about guys, younger younger people, younger generation who tend to evolve themselves. In reality TV, this is a 62-year-old man. I mean, this man is old enough to be your grandfather. I mean, this man, is, you know, uh, you know, maybe he's retired. He doesn't have anything to do. Maybe he's bored. But you know, you don't need to be poisoning trees. I mean, is your hate for for Auburn that much where you have to go poison trees and uh, get yourself arrested? I mean, is it that serious? I mean, I love sports just like the next man, maybe even a little more than the next man. But, you know, I, I'm not going out and, you know, I'm, I was a lifelong Eagles fan growing up. And, you know, we, we tend to hate Cowboys. We hate, tend to hate the Cowboys. So I'm not going to Texas and doing crazy <laughs> things to, to to the Jerry's Palace. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing those, those type of things. So this man needs an outlet. And, you know, we need to find an outlet for Harvey Uptight, I mean, because it's maybe, obvious. Maybe, so, so what is his Twitter handle going to be, Paul? Uh, what, at, at trees or or or, or cut me? Oh, uh, at what? <laughs> at tree poison sixty two? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, that was wow. 
that's a yeah, that's that's pretty that's up there, man. Uh, that's that's that was pretty well. The, the trees, the two famed <laughs> oak trees, and I'm taking this from an article here, uh, Land and Journal Constitution. Um, you know, these two trees will probably die. They probably will die. And you know, well, the good news is, Paul, you and I get to pay for Mr. Upside now for a good ten, twenty years while he sits in a, in a in a in a vacation oasis, uh, otherwise classified as some correctional facility, uh, instead of suffering a real consequence, like you know, I don't know, the same fate as what he did to these trees. Uh, he goes to a world class resort and gets three meals a day and a roof over his head, and well, so they take time he... in the playground. I don't think he's going to do any type of serious time, if any, for this type of thing. I don't think he should do time for for. The man for this is a double murderer. Is he not a double murderer? I mean, but we're talking about we're talking about a tree, not a person. We're talking about a tree, a tree, a tree. <laughs> well, you know, Paul, murder is murder. That that tree didn't want to die and didn't answer. I don't call I don't it call was... uh, the killing of a tree murder. I just call that. Uh, <laughs> Well, I don't know what to call it. You're killing up a tree, cutting a tree down. You know, that's 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 what I call it. But um, well, we'll see what happens with, with good old Harvey, and um, hopefully, good old Harvey will will get. Uh... We got well, actually, he oh, was sentenced. Gotta, gotta, okay, let, I'm sorry. He was sentenced was... three years for this. So he was sentenced three years. He got three years for this. So there you go. I, I, you and I are paying. We. I want you as the. You know, I want you to go to Pam. Our, our producer and I, I demand that Pam reaches out to this man and we get his exclusive interview in in three years. Last time. For I don't know if I want to talk to him. <laughs> I mean, the sentence requires him to serve at least six months in jail and spend ah. five years on supervised probation. He was already accredited with 104 days served, so he's already locked up. But this is a class C. Felony, and I, um, I guess I was about to go off in a little rant here, but yeah, I am going to go off in a little rant here. I mean, we got guys who who, who get less time for for killing people, and you know, I, and this guy's getting all this time for killing two trees. Yes, it's trees, and yes, trees are considered a living thing in some respect. I mean, it's a living thing. You know, trees are plants. Trees are living things. I'm taking, giving you guys some kind of science education here. And actually, he was, I had said 62. He's actually 64. He is 64, and, and but I don't know. I mean, come on. No we got guys in the, we got guys who got less time for killing people. And this, and this man is getting all this stuff for, for killing trees. And, grass, and yes, these trees were around for uh, 130 years, but I don't know. I mean, three years, what, at least six months in jail. He's credited for 104 days served, spent five years on supervised probation. I guess he's not going to get the whole three years. But you, I don't, you know. don't know that. He can get into the yard, and, you know, someone pushes him. This is prison, baby. He's in the big times now. I mean, granted. He is actually you know, he is he is actually uh he was a former uh former state trooper. Former Texas state trooper. Um so uh, that's a big problem. Another strike against him in the big house. There. Former may, former Texas State maybe, Trooper. Maybe and, you know, to, not to not to 
you know, I, I, there's a, I, you know, I lay with a woman every night who is a police officer, and you know, this, got, this gets me a little scared. This Stop definitely it. gets well, me a little scared when I when I hear Paul. these type of stories. Stop. You know, I, I'm getting a little nervous now. I mean, Paul, I may it. not be sleeping you're, well at night. Who knows? Your wife but, is a good woman. You're, I yes, yes, yes. Saturday. But I mean, it's you, you never know. I mean, she could retire just like Harvey when Harvey retired, and you know, not have a life and just do crazy things. Paul, now, please. This is an anniversary show. I'm going to mandate that you keep this above board. I will not let you bring well, it Well, I mean, down. yes, this, this is an anniversary show. We want to, you know, keep it nice. Let's keep the good vibes going. And um, I don't know. I mean, this is crazy. But maybe it this is a is... case for your wife here on air to hear for the first time, Paul. Maybe it is a good thing for your wife to understand that just because you reach retirement age, doesn't mean you want to be killing trees. Well, I mean, you know? it's just it's 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 sad, but I mean, again, you know, we're giving a lot of attention and you know to this guy, but at the end of the day, they are trees. We're talking about trees, and yes, yes, again, trees are living things, but it's not a human, so it is what it is. But we wish Harvey Updike nothing but the best of luck moving forward, and hope that whatever ails him will will be fixed. Uh, during this time, during this prison stint, and also during the supervised probation. Hopefully, whatever ails this man mentally, he did try to, you know, to, to say he had some mental issues, and I guess that kind of goes without saying when you're, um, but it is, I mean, uh, you know, we, we've all done pranks, you know, as children, but this man's not a child, so I guess I can't really excuse what he did. I was trying, I, I was trying, but... I can't excuse what what, what good old Harvey did um, a few years ago, and it's uh, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate Harvey uh, Harvey had to stoop to this level. His hatred for Auburn. I mean, that's I mean, it's a big rivalry, Auburn Alabama. So you kind of understand how Harvey would would want to do some of the things that he did. You understand? Paul, you understand cutting out and killing the tree over over a college football game? Um, no, I don't. Uh, okay, I was just checking, no. you know, you know, because that's a little crazy. Uh, that's a little Harvey should have been Harvey should have been working, okay? Well, he's retired, so you know. <laughs> I mean, maybe, it is what it maybe, is. Maybe Paul, maybe you are talking to me, me into 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 wondering if if retirement, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I'm back. You know, that's a, maybe maybe that was the Lord telling us both. You know, we need to we need to move on here. <laughs> and you know, it's been three years to go for it here on Blog Talk Radio. Started out back in March. I think it was March 9th on a Saturday, a fine Saturday in 2010. We're here March. Obviously, it's not the exact date, but we're here March 23rd. 2013 over the years a lot of great guests a lot of great people have come through here on this show and you know two of the two of the, our, our favorites came on today Willie Rose and Devin Alexander two of our favorites over the years I mean two guys that we rooted for in terms of Willie getting into the Hall of Fame and in terms of Devin taking that next step and ultimately he is a champion IPF welterweight champion ultimately Willie is a Hall of Famer so a lot of great things have happened maybe it's our it's, it's the go for it effect. Maybe it's the go-forward effect. Maybe Willie wouldn't have made the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for us. Maybe Devin wouldn't be an IPF welterweight champion if it wasn't for us. 
I don't know. Maybe I'm just giving myself a little too much credit, but, hey, who knows? I mean, you know, we, we all have issues, and maybe that's my issue. Who knows? But anyway, <laughs> it's been fun, a lot of fun bringing it to you each and every Saturday for these past three years. A lot of fun. Hope to continue it longer. Hope to continue it on a bigger stage at some point, but, you know, we, it is what it is, and we have a lot of fun here. Talk sports. Have fun doing it. I want to thank Willie for Willie Rowe for stopping by, Devin Alexander for stopping by. I also want to thank Keith Pugh for stopping by, and also uh, Keith Pugh as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. And also, I want to thank Mr. Osteski, uh for, for stopping by as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. Ryan Oshetsky for stopping by. Listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgam where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Jeremy, a pleasure. For everybody here at Go For It, take care. Bye! <laughs>